TFS episode number 37. Hi, this is Martin Woodward. And this is Greg Duncan. And this is Paul Hacker. Today we've got a special show. We've got uh, Stephen Borg on the line. Hey, Stephen. Howdy. So, uh, as Stephen's been on the show before, but uh, if you if you don't know Stephen, Steve Borg is the co-founder and principal consultant at Northwest Cadence. As an ALM MVP, he works closely with Team Foundation Server and Visual Studio, but his passion is effective product development practices. He's applied the theory of constraints and lean principles over the years, but was first exposed to Kanban when he worked with the legendary David Anderson at Corbis on one of the world, world's first Kanban implementations in software development, which apparently was hosted in Team Foundation Server 2005. He's That's been right. loving Kanban ever since and the positive impact it has on teams. So welcome back to the show, Stephen. Thank you very much, Martin. So for the listeners, do you want to um, uh, explain basically what is Kanban when applied to software development? How would you, how would you define Kanban? It's a good question. There's probably a lot of different uh, ways that people describe it. If you pop out and do a, a quick search on the web, you'll find a lot of different definitions but i like to define it as a as a way to do process improvement to help drive the comp- uh, a team or an organization to better development practices but to put it in a nutshell there are basically five major elements that that embody kanban kanban means visual card so it's generally a visual way of interpreting things so the first thing you'll do is you'll visualize your work Generally, this is on um, a large board, could be a touch screen held in uh, you know, a computer system in the back end, but it's normally visualized, so that's the first thing you're going to do. Uh, stickies are a very popular way to visualize your work. Once you've done that, you then make the policies explicit. So you, you, you visualize the work on a board with the transitions that you would normally make where you are today. So if your team, for instance, is doing very waterfally kinds of things, you're going to put waterfally states up on your board, throw all the work up there, and then between each transition, you'll make the policies explicit. What does it mean to be done with one state and move it to another? Next thing you're going to want to do is limit the overall work in process. You might have hundreds of stickies on the wall, and you're going to want to say, inside of this state, Maybe this is the development and testing stage of software development. We're going to want to limit it to our team of six really only working on four things, maybe. So you start to limit that work. And then what you see is things begin to flow. So the fourth fourth thing is that focus on flow. And last, there's a commitment to continuous improvement. So the five pillars would be uh, visualize your work, make the policies and transitions explicit, limit your work in process so that you can achieve flow, then you'll focus on that flow, which is the fourth step, and continuous improvement is, is kind of the goal. That's the fifth step. You're going to commit to that. So is so is Kanban, would you, you know, we, we have like a bunch of um, process templates that, that ship in Team Foundation Server. Would Kanban be like a process template, or is it more of a state of mind about how you improve your your, your existing process that you might have already in TFS? Well, it's more of a state of mind in a lot of ways. Now, you can have a process template that reflects your Kanban in TFS. In fact, that's where I put virtually all of our Kanban implementations we do with customers is TFS. But one of the interesting things is you're not going to get a process template that is Kanban. And the reason is that you start where you are today. 
So if you're a highly effective Scrum shop, your introduction to Kanban will be to start at Scrum. If you're a fairly dysfunctional organization using very stage-gated waterfall, you'll start there. And because of that, you need to define those states as part of the very first thing you do as part of a Kanban implementation. And defining those states really is a reflection of where your organization is. So you start where you are. So it means you really have to customize the process templates to make sure that you start where you are. The next difficulty and is you're going to be changing that over time. Most teams start off with a lot of states and then mature to fewer and fewer states as time goes on. So it does require a commitment to changing that process template over time. Does that make sense? I think so. Now, do you mind, Steve, if we actually take a step back? You know, one of the th- one of the roles I get to play here in the interview today is, you know, we're going to play good developer, bad developer, and you know, for my sins, I get to be the bad developer. And um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a line of business developer. I've been in the corporate area for for a long time, and I've seen a lot of shiny. You know, we we saw TQM and you know XP and Agile and Scrum, and now we have you know Kanban. And, and, you know, help me understand why, you know, how is this going to keep my six bosses off of my back? <laughs> That's a great question. Is Kanban simply the flavor of the week, right? Right. And, and will it actually help your team? Now, you listed a bunch of things, TQM, um, XP, Agile, Scrum. I think a lot of these have been a constant improvement over time as we've matured as a as an industry. So we started at Waterfall and there was a lot of waterfall development and as people have adopted Scrum, they've limited their work in process, one of the fundamental features of Kanban, to an iteration. So they've kind of bunched it into an iteration. And we've got enormous benefits as an industry. Um I think there's a really is an agile consensus out there that that it's much better to do work in smaller iterative increments or at least in smaller increments, than the waterfall methodology. Kanban simply pulls that a little bit further. And it does it by, in a lot of cases, taking away those iterations and focusing on a continuous flow and a continuous delivery model. But that doesn't mean it's going to help you. right? I think it's a logical extension of what we've been doing as an industry for the past 20 years. But what does that mean to you as the line of business developer? If you're in a company and you're not doing very agile software development. You're you're somewhere in that kind of ad hoc or waterfally kind of feeling development. You're going to want to make a transition to something new. Something not not for the sake of it being new, but because the world has moved to an uh, the agile sort of development or lean development. Unfortunately, adopting something like Scrum while very, very powerful, sometimes, well, it does require some fairly fundamental changes in your organization, right? You, you, you may have to go out and say, we don't have project managers anymore. We're going to call them either product owners or scrum masters, depending on kind of their role before. Um, we're going to take our teams of testers and developers and we're going to merge them together, which is a great practice, but we're going to break down those barriers and we have to do it today before we start Scrum. So there's this massive change that's required to adopt something like Scrum. Kanban, on the other hand, allows an organization to not push 
extremely hard at the start before you've proven anything and shown value to the whole organization. It allows the dev team, so you as that line of business developer and your immediate managers and the people around you to adopt Kanban because you're not changing all of the all of the rules yet. So the job descriptions are the same. The activities and the way you call them are the same. The handoffs are the same. The artifacts are the same to start with. The only thing you have to do is adopt the limited work in process so that you're not doing a massive amount of multitasking and commit to pulling work through the system. What that does is it allows you to change incrementally and it controls that rate of transition. I don't recommend Kanban for all of the teams I work with. Um, there are some teams that are so completely dysfunctional, they need to throw away what they're doing and start fresh and brand new. And in that case, grab something like Scrum, right? You can grab it, hold on to it, and run with it. Just follow the rules, and it'll get you kind of where you need to go. But for teams that are already delivering software, it's very difficult to go to their management and say, I want to scrap everything we're doing and change to something brand new. Kanban allows you to pull those very valuable principles of lean and agile into the development and into the entire organization, but do it incrementally. So that's why you find uh, Kanban adoptions in places with, that want to change, but aren't able to make the wrenching organizational change that some of the agile practices like Scrum or XP bring about. So, Greg, does that go? Go ahead. Yeah, you, you mentioned about pulling stuff through the system a second ago. What, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Because that's all, that's something that's you know a principle of like lean and lean manufacturing and things. How, how would you describe pull? You know, how would you describe in real terms pulling something through the system in in a software development process? So, one of the things that we have done in software development is we've tried to push development through. And if you if you Cast your mind back to the the bad old days when we had Gantt charts hanging on the wall. There was a day something started and a day it finished. And it started on time regardless of whether we were finished with our task beforehand. And we started then just piling up what we had to do, what we were responsible for. To pull, on the other hand, changes the focus from time-driven starts to starting when there is capacity available to do the work. And and that kind of resonates with most people. I mean, it's very understandable that you don't pile in more work than you can handle. You you need to to take on work when you have the capacity to do it. How Kanban does that is it at the it's kind of a very visual thing. Kanban's visual. So at the top of your Kanban board, you'll likely have limits in the work in process. So for instance, in Dev and Test, if we have a, a team that's working Dev and Test together, we may have a limit of five things that we want to work on. And we don't start grabbing something from the product owner and pull it into dev and test until we've completed one of those five things. Once that has moved, once the uh, once it's gone to production, someone's pulled it into go to production, at that point, we can reach in and grab the next item and pull it into our work stream. If you want to change a push system to a pull system, Basically, the only thing you have to do, I'm simplifying things greatly here, but, (laughs) but, but the thing that does it is applying the work in process limits. That's what converts it because you can't keep stuffing things in. This scares people. And frankly, this is where you get resistance to Kanban. Because let me, 
let me give you an idea. Let's say we have dev and test, and they're two different organizations. And test can only have three things in process, and dev can have five things in process. And dev finishes up all their stuff, but test is still working on their three things. So test isn't able to reach in and pull one of those five things into test. If that's the case, what does dev do? Exactly. You don't want your developers to reach in and grab from the analysts the next piece of work that they're going to work on and then start working on it, kind of leaning forward and you know that kind of thing. You don't want them to do that because then they start bumping up their work in process. And here's the thing. There is a direct correlation between the amount of work you have in process and your cycle time, your ability to get a feature through the system, some kind of business value from when you start to when you end. And the more work and process you have in your system, the longer that lag time is. So what do you do with your devs? I would say it's better to have them just go you know, play video games than to go pick up something new. But in reality, what we, do, we don't want them to do that, but we don't want them deving. So what we do is a better thing, I believe, and that's to go over and look at where the bottleneck is with the testers and say, can we help those testers do their job more effectively? So what the uh, they may be doing, they may say, let's do more work around unit testing or automating UI testing so that it's something that we can take off the shoulders of the, of the testers. So they may take that on to then balance the work as it goes through the system. Hmm. That's a bit, That's scaring me, that bit. I'll be honest. It, it scares a lot of people. And and that is one of those areas that Agile scares people. This isn't just a Kanban piece because it's the same thing that you run into with Scrum or with XP. In Scrum, the Scrum team is going to pull from the product backlog a limited amount of work that they can accomplish. And they're going to pull that in and they're going to execute on that sprint and try to finish up all of that work. Kanban breaks it down even further and says, "Don't you don't necessarily need to pull a whole big plan to chunk over, but in both cases, you're still having to focus on this idea of limiting the work in process to get that faster feedback, that cycle time acceleration." And all agile techniques, whether they whether they you know bring it out explicitly or not, focus on the flow of value through the system as opposed to focusing on the utilization of any individual team member. And, and that's, that's one of those, those key principles. Um, in Scrum, you often have a cross-functional team. Same in Kanban, where you have the cross-functional team. So people are able, when you hand me something to do, as a developer, if I run out of stuff to do, I can just turn, I can turn right over to Paul and say, Paul, how can I help you? And that, that you find in all um, effective agile teams. Yeah. You still find that in Kanban, but the where Kanban actually raises a flag is it says, let's focus on business value delivery, not utilization. Yeah, and I, can a, see, yeah, I, yeah. I can see where you would have, because you know, whenever like people try and pick up a new process, you have like constructive ways of picking up the new process, and then you have uh, you know very not constructive ways. And so one of the not constructive ways, just like with um, when XP started, you know, it's or TDD, I don't need to write any documentation anymore because I've got unit tests <laughs> kind of thing. But with, with Kanban, you, you could see the guy going, "Well, hey, um, test can't get through all this great stuff I've sent them because tests are busy reporting bugs and all the rubbish you've just sent them. So um, I'm going to go play Halo for a day." <laughs> Whereas 
what you want them obviously to be thinking is, you know, I I don't I don't want to pull requirements from my um my you know I don't want to start on new stuff because we haven't delivered this value to the customer yet. So how do I make sure this value gets delivered to the customer? Well, I roll up my sleeves and. I help test it or I do some donkey work for testers so that they can test it quicker or I go build something so because the, the bottleneck isn't in test, it's getting it out to production, that sort of thing. It, it, and use the value, use my skill set the most productively to, to ensure the value, we're sending the value to, over to customers, you know, the flow of value over to who needs to use the system. Is that what you mean? Exactly, Martin, and you nailed it. And see, the wonderful thing about Kanban is I look up on my board and I go, the devs are all done. They, they can't pull anything, but the testers are flailing. And I identified two things. I may have identified that, you know what, the testers have a really hard thing they're testing, or I may have identified a more fundamental problem that our testers and our developers are mismatched, that they're not able to, to complete there's not enough testers to test what the devs are giving them. Now, I use that example um, very explicitly because a lot of organizations have dev and test separate. Uh, one of the misconceptions in Kanban is that that's required. And by absolutely <clears throat> no means is that required. In fact, you want to bring your dev and your test together and do things like acceptance test-driven development and all of those good practices. And you're going to want to do that in Kanban right away. But again, because you start where you are in many organizations, dev and test is separate, but you identify that problem. And then one of the approaches to improving it might be, why don't we pull the testers in with the devs so they can be more involved at the front end so we can not have this kind of problem? So by identifying the problem, and you'll see it very clearly, those bottlenecks as they appear on the Kanban board, you can then go back and make those improvements over time. I want to talk one one brief one more thing just about uh, utilization. One of one of the uh, companies I was at, I was doing an assessment. They're a fairly large company. They've got uh, over 400 and some developers. But as we were doing the assessment, one of the guys said, "Our or I, I, our organization is structured to get 100% utilization, not 100% productivity." And the interesting thing there is they couldn't deliver software effectively at all. And the reason is they kept loading up their teams with more and more and more stuff. And why they would do that is they'd be working on one of their critical applications, but they would discover a person or two people who had some time free, who didn't really weren't assigned to anything. And rather than just have them go help other people, they'd say, uh-oh, we have free hours for these people and they would literally reach into their backlog of brand new projects and they would start a new project so they had dozens of projects running at the same time with no focus on the flow of value of getting those projects out the door but instead the focus on making sure everyone was 100 percent focused and billable or not billable but focused on working on quote-unquote a project and that focus on being 100 percent utilized is really um, goes against what all of the things that we have learned through this from the 60s with the Toyota production system, the Toyota product development system, and agile software development in general for the focus on flow. We need to focus instead of utilization to flow. 
Hey, Steve, Paul here. I want to just kind of jump in here for a second, and uh, I want to take a step back for a second. I mean, Kanban is really great and in, in terms of um, what it can help do to help organizations. What I'd like to know is where did David Anderson actually come up with this idea of let's develop something called Kanban? Let's what, wh Where's the history of this come from, and, and at what point was it no longer a fad and it was actually starting to be taken seriously? It's a it is a wonderful story. Uh, it, David Anderson was w actually working at Microsoft on the Team Foundation Server team at the time, and uh, he, he was writing some of the CMMI documentation and some of the areas around the, the the process templates, as well as doing some other work. But one of his acquaintances was running Microsoft XIT, the XIT team, and it's kind of originated at Microsoft, and the XIT team was doing a large amount of upfront work to uh, break down, decompose, um, estimate how long things would take. And then they'd say, we can be done with this in, in you know, March 18th or whatever. And what would happen is then they'd get another higher priority thing that would go in front. They'd have to estimate that and then contact everybody downstream and bump out their dates. What he found was they were doing so much estimation and working on so many things at the same time that it took far too long to deliver any one discrete thing. So over the next year, a couple of years, um, they started reducing the amount of work they worked on, completely eliminating estimation other than like big fine-grained estimation, like small, medium, large kind of stuff. And what happened is the throughput through that team skyrocketed, went up absolutely dramatically, even though their workload increased. And they were actually able to cut back on the amount of people. Uh, David took that idea and he's like, this is fantastic. And he went to Corbis to take over their software development practice there to put it in practice at a real at another organization from scratch. It wasn't yet called Kanban, but this idea of pulling things in this continuous flow and the f aggressive focus on finishing rather than starting new things until something else is done, started to gel, and he started putting that together. And as I understand it, he was actually uh, um, talking to a guy named Don Reinertsen, who is uh, very big in the lean product development space and has written several books there. And Don Reinertsen recommended the name Kanban. Why don't why don't you just take that name Kanban? It fits what you're you're looking for. Um, you're not taking it from manufacturing. You're taking it from product development. But this idea of visual management, this idea of of limiting the amount of work you're working on and and aggressively focusing on completion is something that really comes out of the Kanban world. Plus, it'll provide those metrics. And that was the origin the origin of the name. And very interestingly, then David Anderson came out with the book, Kanban, and uh, it's taken off. It's absolutely taken off. And I think it's resonated with a lot of people because because of the way it it, it helps teams adopt those agile principles. One of the things you um, you mentioned is about, is, is about limiting, you know, you mentioned it a few times about limiting this work in progress. And that's obviously something that we've kind of all been, you know, one of the ways of, of sussing out a decent new theory, a new practice or not, if it kind of formalizes, formalizes stuff we've already been doing by default anyway. We just, you know, we just didn't focus on that as a successful thing. Like breaking things down into small chunks is a way of, a way of being successful, you know, which is yes. what Agile is about. Limiting working process, working process, working progress is something, again, that we all do naturally to try and be effective, you know, because context switching, especially in development is really, really, Hard. How do you actually 
how do you actually constrain that work in progress? What do you define as an item of work and how do you define the limits as to what, how many of those you should have in process, in progress? This is, that is one of the most interesting things about Kanban because it is not prescriptive at all. Um, there are some kind of good rules of thumb. When I go into a company, um, I want to look at the flow of value. I, the, kind of the lowest level I like to look at is business value. So that generally is a user story. Um, some people will um, roll up user stories into like a minimally marketable feature or a or something of that nature. But those user stories then flow across the states. And I'm going to limit the number of user stories people are working on generally. Some companies, however, take it a totally different approach. If you've seen um, the Scrum task board for the new version, the Dev 11 version of uh, TFS that you can see up at tfspreview.com, they visualize the work as um, rows for each user story and you flow the tasks required to complete those user story across the board. That's another very common paradigm that uh, Kanban teams use. And it really looks at, at what level the team itself wants to limit the work in process. Some teams limit it by task. I tend to take my preference is to take it one level higher and limit it by the, the business value, the chunk that's going through so we can deliver the business value very rapidly. Um, but decomposing it to tasks is also absolutely wonderful and fine. How you determine how much work in process, that is very much an empirical, an empirical, uh, process. You're going to start with visualizing what you have. It's going to be way too much. Almost almost 100% of the time, I'm safe in cutting it in half, cutting the amount in half. Um, it, here's a dirty little secret as a Kanban consultant. If you can get people to cut that in half, their work in process, they generally have so much stuff they're doing that it's not going to impact the way the business sees things, but it's going to uh, – the business sees – that people are working on stuff because they're still working on a lot of stuff, but the software delivery pace skyrockets. You start to deliver, you, know, you can almost double, you can almost bet on doubling the speed at which any one user story gets through the entire system. So it makes you as the consultant look like a genius when in actuality what you've done is simply reduce the work in process by half. Um, you then generally cut it a little bit more and then a little bit more. Now, if you're a scrum team and a highly effective scrum team, the cutting in half won't fly because um, you're already limiting your work in process through the use of iterations. So in that case, you just cut back a little bit and you cut back a little bit to improve the flow, but also to look for bottlenecks and pain. Um, it's the same reason in scrum where you might have a very, if you had a six week iteration, you can hide an awful lot of dysfunction in a six week iteration. <laughs> which is why it's not recommended. You bring it to a four-week iteration, you can still hide a good chunk of dysfunction. You bring it to a two-week iteration, it's pretty hard to hide a lot of dysfunction. Kanban does the same sort of thing. As you limit your work in process, you're exposing more and more and more dysfunctions or crazy things in the team that you can then work on. Um, you don't want to drive your work in process to nothing. Right, or to one item, um, because there's a lot of variability in software development. So we need a, a buffer. But you do that empirically. You kind of reduce it till it feels a little painful, and then you try to fix it. If you can't fix it, you might up it a little bit, and then go for a little bit longer, and then bring it back down again and try to fix it again. And it's all about 
shortening this feedback loop so that you can you can you know you get the value out there to the customers you get people using the software as quickly as possible so that then you know better or worse kind of thing you can tell if you're getting close to where the customer needs to be exactly and getting that very very fast feedback um it's you know it's like standing in a shower in a hotel right if it's a you turn on the hot water, you get in, and it starts getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and you're like, ah! You got to hop back out and turn it back down, right? And and it finally is right, and you get back in, and now it's cooling off so much, it's freezing cold, and you you kind of whipsaw back and forth if you have that long delay in the responsiveness of the hot water uh, to your changes. So same thing in software dev, you get whipsawed around if that if that if you have a really long feedback cycle, you want to shorten that feedback cycle as far as you can. Tighten it up. So, so Steve, I got to, you know, playing my role, you know, we've talked about all the shiny that is Kanban and all the good things yep. that it can do, but, but where are the potholes? You know, what's, what's the bad things that you've seen happen and how do we keep them from happening? Kanban is certainly not a, a you know, a silver bullet. Um, like any other change management approach, it has its, you know, it has its, its dangers. Um, I'll give you the dangers that I see. Um, Kanban seems to not fit well in teams that have no exposure or experience with Agile or any of those fundamental principles of Agile. So if you're trying to get a team to understand the principles of Agile and Lean and kind of get them into that space, that mind space, because Kanban starts where they are today, they often get stuck. And there's no one to pull them along and say, Let's start to reduce the work in process and see that benefit. Um, for teams like that, a much more prescriptive improvement approach like Scrum is appropriate because you can, it's, I don't want to say it, it, it's not derogatory, but Scrum is a, you know, it's a cookbook. It will tell you this is how to do it. So you plug in Scrum, they have no idea why they're doing any of these principles. They just follow the rules because they were told to. In a couple sprints, they will start to understand why those rules exist and they start to understand the meanings of agile and 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 that's a really a precursor to successful kanban adoption is having someone on the team that can that really understands why you're doing these things and if you don't have that it's very difficult to get kanban in place successfully there's another there's another gotcha um, in 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 kanban and it is. It's because it's the new shiny. Mm -hmm. um, very often, when I'm talking to business leaders, I never use the word Kanban. I just don't. <laughs> um, and and unless they specifically ask. And the reason is they all know lean. They've been steeped in this idea of you know delivering value to the customer. They understand that. And you can talk flow of value. You can talk. Let's not multitask a lot. Let's kind of focus. They've under, they're starting to understand the value of focusing. And you can talk in the principles to business leaders. And then they'll kind of, they, it's an easy sell, much easier than agile. But as soon as you throw in the word Kanban and you start talking, you know, pick up this book and we've got this methodology for you, right, right. they shut off because it's the new shiny. Mm -hmm. So, so when I'm selling business, I don't generally talk, uh, you know, Kanban and some of those things. What I'll talk about is the principles behind it. So it's kind of the two gotchas that I have in implementing it. Right. So if I were to, you know, today I'm going to go to my, you know, development team and I'm going to talk to them about uh, Kanban, you know, to wrap my head around it. The way I've been thinking about it since we've been talking is that, you know, you, like you said, you start where you are. So I'm going to my team. I'm going to explain it in a way that they can understand it. Um, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but, but I see kind of Kanban when you're first starting out as like a development, as an interface, as just, you know, a standard interface type of, you know, this is I Kanban. And, you know, <laughs> my, my external consumers of that interface, they're not going to see a change, but inside my implementation of that interface is going to be changing and I can tweak that without breaking that contract with my external consumers, with my business unit, with my, you know, product owner, existing product owners or or project managers or all of that, those kind of people. But inside, I can start making those tweaks. Is that right? You nailed it, Greg. That is exactly it because you you have a span of control as a leader and you can make those tweaks inside of your dev team without going to the business and saying, fire all your business analysts. We're going to replace them with product owners who can write user stories. And you're not going to the operations team and saying, we're going to ship you something that we want you to put in the test every two weeks or whatever. You're, you're, you're not necessarily changing those right now. Right. Instead, you're proving the value internally, and then you can go and push out towards that definition of what you need to build and towards the operation side of the house. Uh, Dave West wrote a really int- from Forrester wrote a really interesting um, article, and, and in it he talked about water scrum fall, where <laughs> where <laughs> developers we've nailed software dev scrum is embedded in in a lot of organizations and. We can, you give us something to dev and we'll give it to you iteratively and we'll give it to you in nice cycle times and we can, we're getting better at predicting. But before it gets to that, we have this long, fuzzy front end where we're kind of defining what we want to do and, and kind of breaking it down. And there's a lot of business stuff that happens before in the kind of definitional stage. And then the scrum teams get it out. And then they wait again as it goes into operations. That's the waterfall on both ends of this really good development practice. Kanban allows you to take that development practice and then start to reach out towards those other two things, towards operations and towards the, you know, the, the product requirements or the, uh, even further into kind of the ideation and the definition of what's happening. So you'll find that very common is you control what you can inside the software dev team, show value, and then start reaching out and just taking pieces incrementally. And I see it be very valuable in that kind of lateral push. There's also a value in Kanban to the hierarchical push. One of our customers, the management does not want to talk Scrum. Uh, They brought in a Scrum expert who uh, did a very good job at implementing Scrum in the dev team, but they basically told the management that you don't need management anymore. Now that you have Scrum management, you don't need it. Um, all the way up to their senior leaders. And they kind of got a resistance to the whole right. um, Scrum idea, as, as you might imagine. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, so what we're, what, what we're doing there is we're taking and we're layering in these lean principles and Kanban and visualizations at the one level higher. So software dev is doing their work in terms of user stories, but we're rolling those up into minimally marketable features or features or epics, whatever you know, a company may want to call them, in our case, MMFs, and then we're flowing those at the level above software development. And what's nice is we're flowing them from ideation all the way through to delivery. And why that's important is because the ideation piece that the business people are involved in, they may spend nine months coming up with some nice idea that they want, kind of fleshing it out and doing case studies and doing all sorts of things around it. And then they hand it to the dev team and it's panic, 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 run, 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 run. 
now they're seeing, whoa, we've got this big piece before we even hand it to dev. And they can visualize that as well. Plus, then they can watch it flow through dev. So they can start to reduce the overall lead time between when they come up with an idea and when it's delivered to the customer. Not just the dev piece of that. Steve, Paul here. Um, Just want to let you know we're going to have to have wrap up now. And uh, we really appreciate you being on the show. But we feel we've only really scratched the surface of this this whole story. Uh, Where In 30 seconds, can you tell us where can we learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do a series of, uh, uh, we call them coffee talks around Kanban, and I talk Kanban, I talk, and then the principles, limiting work in process, uh, vi- work visualization, and then some of them get pretty technical. We get into some of the mathematics behind it as well. Um, you can find that by going to nwcadence.com slash events and looking there. Other places, that, that would be kind of a an online where you can ask questions, that kind of thing. Other places are uh, Lean Kanban University. Um, you can just type that into any search engine. You can you can head over to Kanban101.com as kind of a good like beginning introduction to that. Really, um, you can kind of pop in anywhere <laughs> if you if you search for Kanban software development, you'll get a, a whole bunch of really good resources on the web. Um, There's Sam Guckenheimer books quite a good one too, isn't it? Yes, the, you know. Um, was it a tinyurl.com slash samgoobook? There you go. It, and that's there we all go. software development and focusing on value and all that good stuff. While it's not specifically about Kanban, definitely um, it speaks a lot about, you know, the agile consensus and, and kind oh, of condensing absolutely. some of those values. Out. That, hey. that is a fantastic book. And one other book is yep. David Anderson's book. Of course, yeah. Called Kanban. I think that's, go, that's like, an easy so That should be anyway. a first place you stop, right? Get, yeah. that, on your, get that on your Amazon fantastic. wish list. Yeah, we've, you've really uh, wetted our appetites here, Steve, and I say sorry that we can only scratch the surface in a quick show. But um, if people want to get a hold of you, then where should they go? To the NW, uh, NW Cadence site? Is that the best place? They sure can, or they can email me directly at uh, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, dot B-O-R-G, at NW Cadence. Great. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much, Steve. Great to have you back on the show. Um, We hope to be doing more interview shows in the future. Next uh, episode, we're going to be doing a news wrap-up, and we'll also go through uh, listener Q&A. So if you've got any questions or feedback, then drop us a line at radiotfs at gmail.com or give us a call on the voicemail. That's 425-233-8379. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next time on Radio TFS.